I went and saw a movie last night as I'm recording this, and I knew exactly what seat I wanted. Just like I know you know what seat you want or what you want to watch on Netflix when you log in or, you know, what episode of BoJack Horseman is your favorite. And that is because you're discerning, you're smart, and you have high standards. When it comes to protecting your financial future and your personal livelihood through a stable income, would you ever settle for an average financial investing tool? You're not someone who settles for average. We just went over that. And that's why you listen to I Think You're Interesting because, you know, we're an interesting show and you like checking us out. So why are you going to settle for the same old average investing tool? Now there's a smarter way to manage your money. It's Betterment. Betterment is an online financial advisor for people who refuse to settle for average. They use cutting-edge technology to build personalized portfolios and help you make more from your investments. Investing involves risk. But I think your interesting listeners can get up to one year managed free by visiting Betterment.com slash interesting. That's Betterment.com slash interesting. Hello and welcome to I Think You're Interesting. I'm Todd Vanderwerf, the I, and I Think You're Interesting. And several months ago, I I did a thing on Twitter. I asked people, what do you think is the best TV show in production? By which I mean a show that is going to be coming back with a new season at some point. So not a show that's ended, uh, nothing like that. And sort of the goal of the question was to see if there was a consensus because there's so much TV out there. And one show that kept surfacing to the top and a show that I increasingly think might be the right answer is Netflix's BoJack Horseman it's an animated series about a horse man. Uh, it's a little simplistic way of putting it. It's about a man who's also a horse, and he lives in a world where animals and people live and work alongside each other. It's kind of a weird, twisted place. But he works in Hollywood, in this world known as Hollywood, because the D has gone missing from the Hollywood sign. And he is a celebrity. He was in a popular TV show back in the 90s. And he's sort of dealing with his existential angst. And like... It's a comedy. It's it's really, really funny, but also it sort of captures those Mad Men vibes of, like, dealing with what it means to be lost in the enemy and, like, not being sure what your place in life is and depression and all of those things. So it's also very, very thoughtful. But, yeah, I mean, there's lots of jokes like... Like the uh, MSNBC of this universe is MSNBSEA, so MSNBC, and the anchor is a whale. There's just all kinds of like dumb puns. I think you'd really love it. And because of that, we're bringing back this episode from last year. We talked to the show's creator and showrunner, Raphael Bob Waksberg, the production designer and producer, Lisa Hanawalt, and the supervising director, Mike Hollingsworth. We just talked about a lot of stuff that goes into making this show why it's so good, why it's so funny. But we also, I thought this was sort of interesting. They were writing the most recent season, the fifth season, as this happened. And so I was in the room where they were doing that, looking around at the models of the different characters they were going to be using for that season. So that sort of played into what's happening here. So this is one of my favorite episodes we've ever done. And if you're a BoJack fan, I think you're going to enjoy it. And if you've never seen the show, I think it's going to be a great introduction to it. And then once you're done listening to this, you should run off and go watch it on Netflix. It's a terrific show. So stick around. My guests this week, Lisa Hanawalt, Raphael Bob Waksberg, and Mike Hollingsworth from BoJack Horseman. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. I, I want to start in kind of a weird place because I got an invite 
to a Halloween party, which doesn't happen anymore because I'm in my 30s and I'm old now. <laughs> it's all it's all Arbor Day uh, parties. <laughs> That's 30. Then what in your 40s? Yeah, you get uh, Flag Day. Flag Day parties. Yeah. But I was I was thinking about who I should go as. And I immediately thought, Mr. Peanut Butter. And then I thought, oh, that could be really creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've seen some some very creepy uh, Mr. Peanut Butter and other character costumes. Uh, as, as the folks who work on the show, like, what are your tips for someone who wants to go as a BoJack Horseman character? Like, what, what, what are your secrets? I think it's all in the details. Like, for Mr. Peanut Butter, you're going to want to get a Livestrong bracelet and wear that <laughs> on the right wrist. Um, and I, I like it when people paint their whole body, like the color of the animal. So you're going to want to paint your whole face yellow get that dog nose on there. I think it's it, also about being, uh, creative too. Yeah. I think you don't want to just get like the, uh, the horse mask. The, I'm kind of sick of those. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I also think there's something very, uh, funny and appropriate. Cause you know, I, I, every Halloween I ask people like, if you're, if you're dressing as something from the show, tweet at me, I'd love to see it. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because I think if you are the kind of person who, relates to a princess carolyn you're gonna go all out on your princess carolyn costume which is oh my god they're always so good princess carolyn ones are the the yeah the the most detailed and if you're the kind of person (laughs) who relates to uh todd chavez then just a hoodie and a a beanie is is probably enough for you the easiest (laughs) we you know and if you're bojack yeah you'll you'll just get like a horse's head and and a a flask of something i've seen some pretty good todds i've seen some women dressed up as todd that look really good i also like like the really obscure ones like people dress as uh wallace sean as bojack yeah or or 16 aquafina we've seen some really good vincent adult man ones yeah yeah How did your costume turn out? <laughs> I, I don't know yet. We're, we're going to find out. I'll, I'll probably just end up going as something really terrible, which is what, what I usually do. So this, let's talk a little bit about this season, season four, which I think was my favorite. Oh, thank you. But you, you structured it a little bit differently in that you didn't build it around around Pochak doing something awful so much. He he almost became sort of a supporting character in his own show. So I want to start with Raphael. Why are you think? The idea of making it more of an ensemble came from. Yeah, well, I think the you know the thinking from the beginning was, how, with every season of the show, we think how how can we continue to surprise people and not feel like we're doing things we've already done or that people are getting comfortable and they go, okay, it's it's this kind of show. This is what it is. This is what I can uh, expect from it. And you know, I, I definitely do feel like the first three seasons we do kind of develop uh, a little bit of a pattern of of how. Bojack goes through it and works through it. And so, you know, we, we starting on season four, we were very conscious of how, how can we blow up this dynamic a little bit. Um, and it was also just kind of looking at where we'd left things for the characters and, and where we were picking back up. And, you know, we knew at the end of season three um, that Bojack was gone somewhere. Um, and we knew that there was this young girl that was trying to get in touch with him. And we knew that he had uh, a history of destroying the lives of young women. Um, and we kind of, that dynamic is very interesting for the end of season three that, you know, you've seen three seasons of this and then, uh oh, there's another girl. And so then to then just play out that dynamic again with the new girl felt like, all right, that's, that's, you don't need season four to do that. Cause you've told that story at the end of season, you know, you, you, you get that tension immediately. And we've even, even in the beginning of season four, we're playing with that tension and we're using that expectation. Um, and so then it felt like, okay, well then if he just screwed things up with this girl, that would just be the same as what we'd seen. And how can we, how can we push to new places with the character and with the story? Um, and then also by nature of 
you know, the end of season three ends with him kind of burning a lot of the bridges of the other people in his life, our other supporting characters. And we wanted to respect that and not just snap back to a status quo in season four where everyone's hanging out with each other. And so that kind of led us to, well, then everyone should have their own stories and Bojack shouldn't be interacting with them all the time. And that kind of meant, well, all these stories have to have equal weight. And then, you know, we want to make sure these stories are interesting without Bojack in them because he's not going to be a part of them. Lisa, you have multiple generations of of horse to design this season, especially. (laughs) Tell me about like finding ways to make the horses look different. Like that's, that's the question I have. It, it sounds stupid, but like, I think, I think it's interesting. This for me was the funnest thing I got to do this season because I'm obsessed with horses. Mm -hmm. So I'm always thinking about ways in which horses are different from each other. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was just like, oh goody, I get to like uh, plug like colors into a genetics calculator and actually see like how you could spit out like a Palomino or a Buckskin. Um, So that was how I chose the colors of uh, Bojack's grandparents. Um, and then like dipping into like the costume design from the forties was really fun for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and thinking about like the facial markings and how we could do kind of a misdirect with Hollyhock where she has a, a diamond on her face. So we're like, okay, yeah, she's Bojack's daughter. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was really, really fun for me. Yeah. Great. Great. Mike, um, this season plays around with time in interesting ways. I think obviously episode 11, but also episode two, you have to blend two timelines that are kind of happening in the same room at the same time, but yeah. like they don't intersect. What's the challenge like when you approach that from, from the position of animation and direction? Well, Raphael had a really good, uh, got us started on a, uh, for episode two with that book yeah. that you gave Ann Walker, the director, director uh, of that episode. Uh, here by Richard, Richard McGuire. McGuire. Yeah. It's I, a, <laughs> it's a comic book, but it's a very, um, how do you? How would you describe it's very, it? It's it's it's, it's less like an concerned art piece. story and more about place. It's it's the book is literally every page is you're looking at the same camera angle at the same room, right? Um, but it fades in and out of different, different decades, and it's uh, and so you see as yeah, snippets of 1960, 1970, um, 2000 BC, yeah. Um, and, and it's there's not a narrative story, but there are little pieces of stories that you pick up, um, and it's very much. Um, it's in frames, right? There's different uh, frames. You see like a cat from 2000 walk across the background of, of, of 1980. Um, so you can see how like the wallpaper changes and stuff. It's yeah. a huge inspiration. And we that, have all so. these great collaborators on this show, all these great directors. And with that episode 402 and then later with 411, we have Ann Walker and uh, Aaron Long. And they both brought so much to the the process and just jumped into this uh, with all of her energy and was so excited about the um, the challenge of it mm-hmm. and uh, really had, um, with Raphael's blessing, a real vision for how it would turn out. But that vision continued to change all the way to the end when we really kind of realized the look in uh, After Effects comp. Yeah. Under the supervision of Julianne Martin, she really just she just has so much talent bottled in her, and she just <laughs> you know just took the top off and just yeah. brought all this amazing electrical imagery onto this uh, thing, and the same thing in four eleven too. One of, one of the one of the cool things about this show for me is that you know we're we're writing the scripts, and we have so much passion and and love for it, and and so many exciting ideas. But then to give it to other people like Mike's team, uh, like these directors and and uh, Julianne and After Effects and Lisa and Designs, and to kind of see what they bring to it and what they add to it, and it, it's 
Like I get to be surprised and delighted. Yeah. And I think people really enjoy having the authority to make those decisions and to say like, I got this really kooky idea. I want to try this. And, and mm-hmm. more often than not, we say, yeah, let's take a look at it. And we get some really great stuff out of that. Right. Right. You're all heading up like different teams. How do you empower people to say, you know, I have this great idea. I hope you think it's great too. And like, mm-hmm. how do you, how do you give them room both to succeed and to fail? You know? <laughs> well, it's, it's, it can be tricky because, you know, at the end of the day, we are on a tight schedule and we are trying to, you know, get this show in. And I think especially early on in the first season, there was a little bit of trying to figure out what everyone's role is and what yeah. everybody does. Now I think everyone believes in the show and they, and they and they like the show and they get the show. And so I think people have a sense of, oh, this could fit the world of the show or this is more of a long shot. And I don't know, how do you feel about It's retention about that? of people like from season one, We've had Amy Winfrey, this amazing director who's created her own series for Nickelodeon and stuff. And basically everybody's just, it's just all reacting now. They just basically know kind of what's going to fly in the room. Yeah. And I think that they like us and they feel comfortable <laughs> enough yeah. to, to pitch stuff and <laughs> yeah, try we stuff. Yeah, we take scary. real big swings. And me personally, I always know that when you're working in any kind of, especially animation is so collaborative. Mm -hmm. It just has to be. There's no way really around it unless you're Don Hirschfeld just (laughs) making your own thing. But that's not a TV show. It's not a way to make a TV show. And so you just have to realize that you're going to take, you know, 10 big swings and you're going to connect half of those times or maybe even one of the times. And none of those. Well, there's no ego, too, which helps. Is that it it never feels like, oh, they killed my baby. It's it's like, (laughs) even if they did. Uh, try to kill the baby that one time, those are still valid ideas that didn't work that time. Right. Like yeah, we're all working a, at it at a high level. There's a crab lady I designed that you rejected season one and I got her into that underwater episode. That's <laughs> good. That episode we were desperate for extras. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'll that's take anything. It's like, got to hold on to her. Yeah. Um, but I, I think, I do think that early on, it, it, I remember that it felt like there's a lot of stuff that just didn't feel like what the show was in my yeah. head when I wanted it to be. And there's a lot of explanation of like, no. And especially when I felt like there was, you guys were throwing stuff in that was stepping on the story or stepping on the jokes that were being told in the yeah. foreground. Because everyone was so excited to add their own stuff and like get their own stuff in. It's like, yeah, but we're, we have a joke and now no one can pay attention to the joke that's there because there's all this other stuff going on. <laughs> and I feel like people now have a better sense of like, okay, well, what is, first and foremost, what is the story of the scene? What are we trying to tell? What are we trying to communicate? What are jokes that help that? And then second to that, or what are jokes that maybe don't necessarily help it, but don't step on it or yeah. you know, how, 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 that can coexist with the story that's already there. Yeah. Now I know not to put a big painting uh, with naked butts in the background <laughs> if it's a scene where Bojack is crying. <laughs> <laughs> but thankfully I, I like, in season one, we designed Mr. Peanut Butter's house before butts. maybe Raphael yeah. and our EPs realized that a lot of butts in the background could hurt so things. So I got some butts so in there. You got a lot of butts in that Plus background. Plus it's a dog's house. Of course there's going to be butts everywhere. <laughs> and in this season, we have a new Mr. Peanut Butter house. We'll have to see how many... Uh, Butts, we can successfully we'll get in there. More than ever. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. <laughs> my, uh, my colleague, Caroline Framke, wrote a really great piece, I think, about how the show balances different kinds of jokes against each other. And you're kind of talking about this already, but I, I want to go a little further into it. Like, how do you balance a joke that's in the dialogue versus a joke that's, you know, maybe one of Mr. Peanut Butter's banners versus like a joke that's told entirely through staging or through, um, you know, a pratfall, something like that? How do we balance? You really, but it really kind of comes out in the storyboards. It feels very organic. The the process 
is kind of like, I always say that working in animation is like working with cement. Like when you're first getting in there, it's wet and you could really work with it. But then as you move along, it's like this, this product is getting more and more solid and it's harder to kind of like to work with, or you shouldn't kind of mess with it as much. But um, you really see it in the storyboards when you can and when it's easy to see, like if things are stepping on each other and if the rhythm and the pacing of stuff is kind of like interfering with the main story. Well, and I also think, you know, in, in some ways our audience has grown with the show or we've grown with the audience and gotten more sophisticated. Whereas like in the first season, I would be more nervous of like, oh, that's going to distract, that's going to step on it. Now it kind of feels like, oh, no, that's part of the show. And that's people understand that they're not going to catch everything. They can't look in all directions. And the second time through, they'll catch something else. Yeah. yeah, the fact that you can binge it on Netflix as many times as you want kind of encourages people to go back and look for things. Mm-hmm. So every time there's like a newspaper article or like a menu in the background, there's usually some jokes in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, keep watching. You haven't seen all the jokes. <laughs> you haven't caught them all. Yeah. Keep watching over and over again. Never stop. Um, that That's interesting because I read, I read a oral history of episode 11 that you mm-hmm. did with Vulture that really talked about how you were able to um, add stuff in to earlier episodes to sort of set it up. It sounds like pretty late in the process. Like how long, if you're using the cement metaphor, how long does an episode of the show remain malleable? Well, it's what's great about the cement metaphor is it's always malleable. Like you can <laughs> drill into hard cement and change stuff. It's just harder. Expensive. It's just, you would rather do it when it's wet, you know? And so... Yeah, I mean, we will we will get stuff back and, and look in, like, final animation and decide, like, this joke isn't working. We need to change this. Or we need to, you know, that joke we cut in storyboards, I miss it. We got to put it back in. Yeah. Um, and it's it's not pleasant, but it happens every season. Yeah. You know, and then, yeah, and, like, if we know, okay. And we want it to happen because we want to turn out the best possible right. Right. product. So we try to, you know, we get ahead as much as we can. But, yeah, like, in episode 11, I was like, oh, we have this thing now with Corbin Creamerman. Uh, let's go back to episode eight and put in some line about Corbin Creamerman. Or like, um, you know, we had a line about her cotillion, I think. And then later we saw her at a debutante ball. We said, oh, okay, can we go back and change the line about the cotillion to be about a debutante ball? And that was very easy because just like a couple words. I don't even think we were on her lip sync at the time. So we could kind of slide it in very, <laughs> very simply. But there have been bigger changes that we've had to make. You know, I remember uh, in the first season, um, which was a, a mad dash. Um, <laughs> first season was crazy how quickly we had to make that. Um, remember, we we got the animation back on uh, the prison episode where Todd goes to prison and joins two different prison gangs. And and there's a whole thing where he has, like, different armbands for the different gangs. He's like, uh, I don't remember if it's purple and orange or what the colors were exactly. But I remember looking at the episode and watching the episode and realizing, like, wait, we forgot to put the armbands on all the other prisoners. Oh, wow. Like, it's, it's not going to be <laughs> They clear. don't mean anything. They don't, yeah. yeah, no one knows what gang is which. I remember uh, the line producer at the time being like, this is a big change. Do we need to do this? And I was like, yeah, we do. <laughs> I, don't, I can't put a dollar sign on it, but this whole story doesn't make sense. And so we had to kind of drill into that hard cement and and, and reanimate all those characters mm-hmm. yeah. with, with the armbands. Oops. <laughs> so you're, we're talking about season one a lot and sort of the story of this show is that season one ends well but has to figure itself out along mm-hmm. the way. Um, I've gone back and rewatched it and liked it much more the second oh, time, you. if that makes sense. But I certainly <laughs> I, I hear that a lot. <laughs> I certainly had that feeling of like, I'm not sure what this is when I was like, what, when did you, the three of you figure out as you were working on the show, like, when did you say, okay, 
I know what this is? Like, was there a moment when it kind of crystallized for you or when it started to even? Part of the reason why that Netflix was so excited about the show is because you seem to have, Raphael seemed to have an incredible vision right out of the yeah, gate. Yeah, I, I feel like I always knew what it was. It was all the rest of us. I was, I, was not, I was not always great at communicating it to the other people working on the show or to the audience um, <laughs> what, I, what I thought it was. Um, but I, you know, the, the plan from the beginning was that it was going to start very light, very goofy, and then get gradually uh, more serious as the season progressed and people would be kind of uh, surprised by it. And uh, very naively, it did not occur to me that people might judge it before they got to the end of the first season. They wouldn't watch all 12 episodes and then reflect on how that experience had been. <laughs> they might just watch a couple and go, oh, okay, I get this, click. Um, but even then, I think it was, you know, it's, it's a difficult thing because I think we were trying to have one foot in and one foot out of like, it is like th- what this thing that you understand. It's kind of fitting in this rubric of what an adult animated show is, but it's also this other thing. And I think if I were to do it again, I feel like I, I didn't need to walk people through it quite. I didn't need to start with the, it's this thing you understand, that people were more willing to get to the new stuff than I gave people credit for. But also I think the familiar always weighs heavier in an audience's mind than the new and different. I find even for myself when I'm watching something that my first reaction is, okay, what is this like? How do I contextualize this? And it's harder for me to notice what it's not like. So, you know, the, the example that I always talk about is, is reading a review of, of the first couple episodes of the show and seeing someone say, you know, for a show that's trying to be just wall-to-wall jokes, there sure are a lot of scenes that don't have that many jokes in them. Right. <laughs> and I just wanted to, like, you're almost there. You're so close to what we were trying to do. Um, but it's just that the expectation was so large, and I think the history of what adult animation is is so heavy and so much one thing that even trying to be like, okay, we're one foot in that, but one foot in this other thing, it was really hard for people to notice what that other thing was at first. And it was only as the season progressed, people started to pick up on it. And I thought I was like ladling it in very gradually, but I think I could have been a little more heavy about, no, it's not that, this is what it is. Our style of tears and deers. That's right. Sadness and, deers. and animal jokes. Exactly. <laughs> So listen, I like to think I'm a pretty smart guy, but I'll tell you something that's that's not very smart about me is the fact that I will frequently stay up until like 3 a.m. and then be like, why am I so tired when I wake up at 7 the next morning? As though I don't already know the answer to that. So it's not smart to do that. And then like, I don't know, blame your bed for being tired instead of yourself for being stupid. But let me tell you what is smart going to ZipRecruiter.com slash think to hire the right person. That's right. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. So don't go through the sea of resumes. It's powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job, and it actively invites them to apply. So you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S., This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. So right now, as you probably heard, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash think. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash think. One more time to try it for free, ZipRecruiter.com slash think. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. 
Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Smartwater. Not satisfied being like other brands, Smartwater looked up at the clouds and said, I wonder if we can one-up Mother Nature for a purer, crisper water. And guess what? They did. This is the kind of water that regular water gets jealous of. It's the water that refreshes like no other brand. Try it. Smart water. Vapor distilled for purity. Electrolytes for taste. Lisa, we're, we're doing this in the editing bay here, and I'm looking around at all of these images that show the various characters, like their, their height, basically, yeah. sort of the scale of them. And I'm wondering, like, what can you do in terms of scale? Like, you, you have had a couple jokes about, like, a, a giraffe who's really tall or something like that. But, yeah. like, ostensibly, this is a world with, like, animals who can think and talk and all of that. Like, how, how much can you get away with in terms of, like, design in terms of small, big, et cetera? Well, you know, I'm looking at Tom Jumbo Grumbo and he's probably the tallest one here, but mm-hmm. obviously he's not as big as like a blue whale literally is yeah. um, compared to a human. But um, yeah, I think we we make a lot of jokes about how large certain animals are and mm-hmm. it's definitely looks better in animation if you can vary the silhouettes, which is something Mike taught me about as I was gaining footing and yeah, learning like about animation. exciting things about animation. Like we yeah. have our little pig doctor, Voiced yeah. by uh, Patton uh, Oswalt. Patton Oswalt, that's right. And he's like super four short. feet tall. He's like three feet tall. He's so small. Um, yeah, and most it, of, I, most I was of the always, characters are like an average five feet. But. I was re- always really keyed into it in the beginning because Bojack can be a jerk. And there is a great thing. Bojack is almost seven feet tall. Yeah, he's yeah. huge. And then you have him in scenes with Diane and PC. And there is the kind of visually implied thing like this is a big giant monster and he's (laughs) screaming at this tiny woman yeah diane never is never kind of like oh my god uh you can crush me (laughs) but Raphael has joke there are plenty of jokes about how bojack weighs how much 1200 pounds 1200 pounds (laughs) yeah but he is frequently on top of women having (laughs) sex with them so he would technically crush their pelvic Bone. Oh my God. <laughs> w- women are incredibly strong, Mike. I don't know if you know that. that. Is, I had <laughs> forgotten about that. Um, but yeah. I remember, you know, definitely in, in the first season, there is the scene um, in episode two where he's yelling at the stranger, uh, played by Judy Greer, Pam. Um, and I remember talking about, like, how scary do we want to make him? And, mm-hmm. and do we want to, like, ease back a little bit? Because it is very intimidating. And, like, it's like, oh, I don't I don't like this guy. He does startle a chicken lady into laying an egg. Right. Right there, <laughs> right there in the bar. But we try to, like, in singles, like, Bojack fills his entire single shot, his right. close-up shots. But characters like Diane and PC kind of have some headroom to kind of emphasize that large versus small. Well, we also, it's... Um, and Todd, too, because he also, in many cases, is kind of lording right. over Todd. I think the, the difficulty is when you want to have a two-shot with two characters having a conversation with each other, and one is three heads taller than the other. <laughs> it's like, okay, this, we're losing some of the, the give and take here because we're trying to frame this shot. Or, um, you know, some of our characters have have very long torsos and, and, and short, stubby legs, and some of them have longer legs and shorter torsos. So when they both sit down, all of a sudden one is much taller than when they were standing up. Yeah. Um, it's made I me just, aware. I, of, I like to add a lot of difference between them, and it <laughs> creates for some problems in animation. It's made me very aware of that when I go to a restaurant, I'm like looking at the length of people's torsos. <laughs> Like, wow, that that woman was very short compared to that man when they came in here. But now they're equal. Yeah. That man must have tiny or that lady yeah. must have very long legs. And that man has a short torso or something. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, 
I never, I'm now going to look at people in an entirely different way. But, but when it comes to like picking, obviously you could ask this question a lot, but when it comes to like picking the animals or whatever, has there been a time when you've said, okay, that just doesn't work? Like, is there an animal you haven't yet found a way to use that you'd really like to? Oh, um, no, I think even a snake, which would be like the weirdest animal to give a human body to, we've found ways to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know when we were first uh, designing like the pilot, I drew like a snake with like a really skinny snake head and a big fat man body. <laughs> and everyone was so confused. They like, were like, they're like, well, what would it look like if he takes his clothes off? This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so uh, it has to, you know, the head has to match the body in proportion in some way. And to your um, earlier, you brought up giraffes. Mm-hmm. I have a note up in the wall up where the directors sit that says basically no more giraffe jokes. We're so sick of them. Yeah. Because <laughs> people have a tendency to just go for like the hippos are fat, giraffes oh, are tall. Yeah. Um, you know. There was a point where I said no more goats, and I don't know why. They're just people were drawing goats in every episode. It's like <laughs> I've had enough. <laughs> but but I like it. I like so some variety. Surprise me with a new giraffe joke. Like what? Get creative. That's what it's always fun on our show. It's like I don't want just a giraffe is tall joke. I want like what is a the giraffe, giraffe has conflicted feelings about his mother joke? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like what? What? What's the funny thing about a giraffe in this world? In you're, the Bojack, you're really world. giving your team some mixed messages. No new giraffe jokes. <laughs> Only new giraffe jokes. <laughs> we do have some rules, like the animals you don't see their tails, um, right. but well, they I don't think, have tails. Yeah, they, they don't have tails. That's right. Um, but but for certain animals, if it's like their defining feature, like we have a scorpion, uh, and I was like, okay, I think if the tail is coming out of like the center of his back, then we can have it in there because a scorpion has to have right. that stinger. Yeah, otherwise, otherwise, it, it's otherwise not. It just looks like a burn victim. The, ge- yeah. the general the general <laughs> rule of thumb is that they're human from the neck down, unless there is a very specific defining characteristic of that animal. So like Lenny Turtletop has a shell. He's a turtle. Lobs- lobsters have claws. Right. There's and some very, uh, very birds can fly. But yeah. they just do it with hands like us, but we have butterflies with wings. Right. And yeah. They use those wings. It's some there's some loose. Because yeah. what is a butterfly without the wings? Yeah. It's just a you know what? Ant. You know what I noticed this season four, which I I don't know how I never noticed before? That some of our insects have multiple arms. Yeah. And, and some, some of them do not. Yeah. Um, but I guess you could argue that like, oh, well, if you're a dragonfly, your defining characteristic is not the number of legs you have. It's your wings. Yeah. But if I you're an ant, the defining characteristic is that you have multiple appendages. It's all genetics. You know, yeah. it's like how they <laughs> come down through the generations. This will, all, this will all be explained in our book. <laughs> and then as we get into, but we always talked about in our world, different animals or human and an animal can have uh, procreate. Right. And then it just turns out to be one of the things or another. Yeah. There's no like hybrid. Although there's one, there's or... one man in this mariachi band that looks like he's half frog, half man <laughs> in season one that I'm well, yeah, really yeah. fond of. Played but, for a visual. Gag, I think that's yeah. more that he's, he's hanging out with frogs, so he's become more frog like. Like when married people start to look like each other. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I was going to ask that, like, like procreation, does it play by Muppet rules? Like the boys take after the father and the girls take after No, it's no. more, it's more like. It's um, random kind of. Yeah, it's more like, like gender for human. Like, is it going to be a boy or a girl? It could be either, you know, it's going to be one or the other. Right, right. Um, <laughs> a puppy or a pony. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but uh, when, you, when you, when you started out the show, like your, your main animal cast is a cat, a dog and a horse. What made those three animals like the right? center for this show i think if i could butt in it's uh what lisa likes to draw the most 
But Raphael picked the characters. Yeah, but I think I was basing it off of like drawings that you had made. That's true. Yeah, yourself, right? I, like, I drew like a horse man a lot that you really connected to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the, the beginning of the show was me looking at Lisa's drawings and thinking, what kind of world would these people be in? And so, yeah, I probably, um, I don't know if I was thinking of a specific dog or cat that you had drawn or horse, um, but definitely. And, and, and I think also there is something about the fact that these animals are are more domestic than some of the other animals that we, right. we've ended up seeing as, as the universe has expanded um, to kind of start with like, yeah, these are normal animals that you would see walking around this, you know, Maybe a horse is not quite as much, but or still, that it's a like a pink cat. <laughs> yeah, these are, but these are these are animals that like hang out with people. Um, I think a horse is a perfect choice for BoJack because they're so enigmatic and tragic in a way. <laughs> That's why so many great novels are about horses. Yeah, yeah. a lot of them are. Well, I think your your, your think note for any sarcastic. TV show or movie is this could use more horses. True. <laughs> What's fun about drawing a horse? What What do you like about that? Because I I I first came to know you through your horse comics. Like, what what do you like about drawing comics for horses? This is the the hardest question for me to answer because it's like asking why I like ice cream. It's Mm. just like inherently good and interesting to look Mm -hmm. at a horse. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I just find them really fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So I guess what is it about Bojack? Like, what is it about a horse that makes him so good for tragedy or comedy? Like, he's got... He works really well in either sphere, and like even though he can't emote nearly as much as like Princess Carolyn can, mm-hmm. he's kind of a blank slate. He is. I mean, I, I think that's. Um, I talked to you a few years ago about understanding comics right. and the idea that the, the more iconic a character is, the more people can kind of project their own humanity onto them. And I think Bojack definitely speaks to that. That like if if you were looking at Will Arnett, you would think that is Will Arnett. Yeah, <laughs> I am not Will Arnett. Um, but that you can kind of look at Bojack and it, it, it knocks down some of your defenses because he is a little more uh, blank and, and simple. That's what's great about drawing animal people in general is that yeah. people can project onto them more. Yeah. I also think, though, that, that you know, what makes him so versatile uh, is Will's acting, that he is such a good actor mm-hmm. that, you know, he's so funny and, and, and you like him when he's funny, but he's also very tragic and you you believe him and he, he hits those dramatic scenes and he's... Great. Um, I, you know, I think we're, all of our actors I think we're, we, I, we're very blessed to have them. And I, I become kind of a broken record when I talk about them because I just, you know, we, we just had um, a table read yesterday. And every time it's like, oh, yeah, they just they take these jokes and they fill them with with comedy and life. And you think they're funny, but then you hear them and they're even funnier. And then you go to these these dark, sad places and they they get that, too. Um, and it's it's it really inspires us in the writing to go darker and deeper and to kind of give them more to do. I'm just amazed every day I get to work with Jerry Blank. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> From Strangers with a Candy. Uh, are you at a point where you can get most of the guest stars you asked for? You have a great guest cast. And like you have Jessica Biel will just <laughs> savage herself. She, yeah. I mean, um, she asked for that. She, she <laughs> I, I've told this story before, too, but that she, you know, she she looked at the script we sent her and she called me on the phone um, and said, I, it feels like you're holding back. I want you to go meaner. Mm. And so we got the room back. And we're like, all right, let's call some mean Jessica Biel jokes. Um, That's and so cool to me. So much, she, so much respect for that. I think she felt like, oh, if if I say yes and these are the jokes, it's going to feel like they're playing softball. It's going to feel like I I asked for them to like not be so mean. Yeah. Um, and she, 
I think she enjoyed it, <laughs> or at least she put on a brave face. But no, I mean, you know, we 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 still have people who who are not interested in doing the show. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think uh, we have an amazing casting director, Linda Lamontagne, who who knows where to look and knows how to get people. Um, but sometimes people are busy. Sometimes people like the show but don't want to do the part that we've offered them. Um, you know, a lot of people don't want to play themselves. Um, you know, actors who, who've said, like, I'd love to do animation, I'd love to do BoJack, we give them, like, here, you're playing yourself. And they go, no, thank you. <laughs> um, th- those are often hard to cast, but we always end up with really great people. Um, so, you know, it's a good system. <laughs> the flip side of that is you have Holly Hawk, who is uh, related to BoJack, let's say, without mm-hmm. spoiling the season. <laughs> um, and she's played by essentially someone I was not aware of her work before and she's great. Like how do you find, we need to find a person who's going to play this major role and all we have to work with is their voice. Yeah. I mean, part of that I think is a little bit, you know, in season four getting a little more confident with, Oh, maybe we don't need the biggest names to sell the show anymore. Although, you know, it is always helpful when Zach Braff tweets to all his fans, Hey, I'm in this show, check it out. And then all of his fans watch it. I mean, I, I think our, are, are the first audience we ever got were people who were Will Arnett or Aaron Paul completists who were like, I don't know about the show, but I'm going to watch <laughs> it to the end. And then they're like, oh, actually it's good. And they told their friends. And so I, I do think a big name is very helpful. And the more big names you have, the more you're kind of reaching into other, um, you know, air areas. But I heard... Aparna is a big name. She is a big name. I, I, yeah, I don't want to say she's like some a, nobody that we pulled up from the trash heap. She's, she's an amazing uh, stand-up comic. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, she's fantastic. You may not know her name today, but in a year or two years, yeah. I think she's going to be. No, so I, I'm not, you know, discovering people at open casting calls, but like I, I heard her on a podcast. I was like, oh my God, that's the voice. And as soon as I heard it, I couldn't, I was not interested in hearing anybody else. Like that's exactly what we're looking for. So you get people to do voices after you've heard them on a podcast? Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Mike Hollingsworth. <laughs> oh, oh, me? I think that's. Michael W. Mike, Hollingsworth. You've already, you've already done voices. You've done multiple voices show. on the show. Sorry. <laughs> you do a voice every time you, you pitch a joke at the beginning of a scene of a guy ordering a grasshopper. Um, and like, who's going to do it? And Mike's like, well, we, I'm here. I can do it. Um, yeah, I think it's, you know, we are always looking for who's the right person for this part. It's not about what's the biggest name or who's, who's the flashiest, you know, guest star. Well, who would be, who has a good voice? Who do we feel like is a good actor? Who do we think could, could do this well? And uh, I think the fantastic. star of season four for me was Wendy Malick. Yeah. Who's she's just amazing. so amazing. And she, I mean, you know, obviously she has tons of experiences on all sorts of things, but we cast her in season one because we needed someone mean to play Bojack's mother in <laughs> flashbacks. You know, we thought like maybe we'll use this woman for, you know, two minutes out of the whole season. Um, and then just kind of being able to use her over and over over the seasons and seeing what she could do. And especially this season being like, I have no doubt that she can play this character as a little girl and uh, a young woman and an old woman and a very old woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and she can be funny and she can also be cruel and scary and she can also be heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, so she, you know, it's, it's, it's really, it's a, it's a pleasure when you have these great actors to kind of give them the football and say, here, let's, let's, let's uh, do some tricks. People do tricks with footballs. Is that right? I'm not a sports guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, you that's uh, football, you know, right? if you if you do the best trick, then you get you get 50, the points. You get 50 points. Oh, okay. yeah, that's, guys, I think that's it's called a hat trick. <laughs> sports. So, um, when you are working with your regular cast, the people that you've worked mm-hmm. with for years, like what conversations do you have with them about their characters? Because obviously, like 
Uh, I talked to Nancy Cartwright mm-hmm. a few episodes ago, and she has like a intense connection to Bart Simpson oh, of course. that like yeah. goes beyond anybody really who writes on the show because yeah. they're you know they come in for a few seasons and then go off. So like when you're talking to Will or, or Allison or Aaron or someone like like what are their conversations they have with you about where you're going to go with these characters because you sometimes go to you know dark places. Yeah, I mean, I think in general they feel like they're in good hands, right? And I'm not you know, the, the cycling Simpsons writer who's coming in after they've been on the show for 20 years. Like I, they know the show started with me or us and, and they feel like, you know, we, we know what we're doing. We know sure. what they're, where they're going, you know, and then if they have a question, they'll say, well, what's going on here? And we'll talk about it. Um, but it's, you know, I, I, we've never gotten into the thing of like, what's my motivation or, 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 you know, Bojack wouldn't say this. Um, that, that doesn't really come up mm-hmm. because, I think we have a handle on it, you know, me and the writers, and I think they do too, you know, and if they are struggling with something, sometimes we'll give them an alt or try to uh, adjust something. Um, but they rarely have like large concerns about like the arc of the season or like, I don't, I don't like where this is going. I think they generally, they, they trust us and they trust that we're telling a good story and they understand they're a part of a larger whole. And there's, there's not a lot of ego in any direction. You know, we're all trying to contribute to, to make something cool and work together. On I Think You're Interesting, we give you a front row seat to the entertainment industry in the next advertiser segment brought to you by Betterment. Get a front row seat to a smarter way to managing your finances. Do you know the emotion most often associated with money? Anxiety. (laughs) Anxiety, right? We've all felt that. But where does it come from? There's kind of a couple of different components to it. Some of them are really practical and they're valid, right? Like money is the ability to buy things that you need. We have other components of anxiety about money, which are more about just the social and psychological components of it. You can see other people spending money, but not other people saving money. That's Dan Egan. He's the director of behavioral finance and investing with Betterment, an online financial advisor that reduces investment anxieties by helping clients set and meet goals. When you sign up to Betterment, we're going to ask you a lot of questions that are just practically useful. You know, like, are you married? Where do you live? How much money do you make? Because that influences what are the best account types to use? What kind of tax breaks can you use? How much do you need to be saving and over what period of time? According to Egan, the result of this can be summed up in one word. Uh, Elation. When you have that sense of accomplishment of having hiked up a very large mountain and gotten to the top and you can see for miles, it really pays off a lot more than you expect and those kind of memories stick with you for longer. Betterment. Outsmart average. Please remember, investing involves risk. This has been advertiser content from Betterment. Thanks for that note from Betterment. To learn more about their tools, visit Betterment.com slash interesting. We talked a little bit earlier about kind of how this season plays with time, and it plays with it in different ways. Like, I think the season takes about two years to play out. Yeah, well, the first first two episodes are, like, cover about a year. Because basically, um, we have a... (laughs) Uh, we have a guy here, Sean, who's kind of in charge of the timeline. Uh, the timeline in universe because mm-hmm. um, it's gotten more and more complicated as we've gone. But yeah. in the first few seasons, we were really trying to kind of stick to it's more or less real time. And obviously, that doesn't make sense because the episodes all come out at once. People watch them, whatever. But the idea was that, you know, this is going to take, a, you know, it's going to, the first season covers, I think, like maybe six to nine months. Like okay. there's some there's some big gaps in there. But it's the idea is that it's, it's 2014 
uh, into 2015 because it ends with the Golden Globes. So it's January 2015. And then season two starts a few months later. So that's like the spring of 2015. Uh, and we realized as we were starting to the, uh, season four that the timeline had started to, um, we were getting ahead of, of, of our characters, like, you know, Breaking Bad style uh, we were looking like, oh, no, we, we want to catch these characters up. Right. And so the first two episodes are a way to do that, to kind of like, okay, we're going to pull everybody back to the present now. We're going to cover a lot of space um, to kind of get everyone back into 2017 sure, uh, sure. when this season takes place. But you do jump back you know, into the past. Oh, of and course, the and the future. And the future yeah. and all that. And that is traditionally a thing that TV comedy especially struggles with because TV comedy usually takes place in like sort of a timeless, you know, we all <laughs> live in this living room and that's the only place we ever go. Right. Um, what's in, what's fascinating, what's interesting to you about playing around with time within the sphere of TV, which tends to be very rigid in some ways? Yeah, well, I think, you know, um, narratively it just opens up so much stuff. And I think, you know, How I Met Your Mother is a great example of uh, again, something that's kind of straddles those worlds of in the very traditional uh, multi-cam sitcom world, mm-hmm. but would would great take, you know, great joy in flashing forward, flashing back, you know, sometimes to the distant future or distant past, and sometimes just like within the episode, kind of shuffling things up and going all over the place. Um, and I also think just for us, like visually it opens so many great doors. The idea of like, what does the 40s look like in this world is like, that's exciting. Like that gets, you know, that gets my my juices humming as juices do. And I know like, <laughs> mm, like oh, we're going yeah, <laughs> oh, to give that to Lisa and her design team and they're going to come up with some great stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it opens up new kinds of jokes we can tell. It opens up um, new kind of stories we can tell to go to the past or the future or to jump around even within an episode um, you know, all within a span of a couple of weeks, even, uh, it just, it's, it's, it feels like a, a tool to it's in our toolkit. Why not utilize it? Right. Right. Um, and the animation really helps the fact that it's an animated show. Right. Cause we can yeah, do some, jump some around. bigger stuff. You, you definitely play around with the rules of the world in all the seasons. Like, you know, there, there are people that live under the sea. Now we find out there are <laughs> ants underground, mm-hmm. but when you bring history into that, like, does it roughly track our own history? Do you have like an idea of what? Yeah, roughly. Yeah. <laughs> I would admit, I mean, all the, the references we make and it, it's, you know, it seems like we are somewhat grounded in the real world, um, you know, except in this world, uh, instead of when Harry met Sally, it's when Tabby met Snappy. Um, but otherwise, it's more or less. Junior is the same. Junior is the exact same. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, or, or yeah, the the, the, um, the Munich Olympics happened, the Holocaust happened, nine eleven happened. We have great jokes about all these things. <laughs> uh, um, it's you know, the, it is more or less our world, um, and so sometimes that can paint us into corners where we go, oh, we we referenced this thing, but it doesn't really make sense now with this new information. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, we've had things where, like, the Beatles are shown yes. in a newspaper yeah, as being yeah. bugs, and then we see Paul McCartney as a human. <laughs> but, yeah, whatever. Different band. Different band. There's the Beatles and the Beatles. So yeah. we, have, we have George Clooney and George Clooners. George Clooners, that's yes, right. <laughs> uh, but that was on purpose. <laughs> no, it was we – had, we, we had George Clooners, and then we realized um, that we'd referenced George Clooney uh, in an earlier episode. Yeah. And then we had this joke – that we wanted to make about uh, George Clooney marrying a less famous lady as being like an example of like celebrities doing, you know, this great humanitarian, like that's <laughs> what a humanitarian thing that George Clooney married a less famous lady. And we were talking about it. Should we say, well, should we say George Clooners? Like, but that is, the joke only works if it's George Clooney. Like <laughs> then you're thinking about the guy we met that last year that was so like, let's just make the George Clooney joke. 
but then people are going to say, but don't you mean George? So we just wrote it in and, and made a, a, we pointed at it to make a joke out of it. They're like a Bill Paxton, Bill Pullman. Type. Exactly. People yeah. confuse them, but they are in fact different people. <laughs> I think you debuted at a time when all the TV critics in America, we'd, we'd gotten on the phone and said, okay, we're done with stories about like people who have a lot of money and mostly yeah. psychological problems. Like Mad Men did that yeah. great. Well, men especially. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. And you found an end around to that, which is A, you're a comedy, but B, you're also about a horse. <laughs> right. And tell me about like, how, how can you talk about some of these um, there, you know, ultimately it's pretty low stakes, whether Bojack, you know, is happy. Like sure. that doesn't matter to the rest of the but world. But I think, you know, uh, it means it matters more than anything to him. Right. And, and I think it like, seems to affect these other people's lives in a pretty big way. I mean, sure. yeah, you, you, I think, I think you could also argue, you know, I've seen some shows and movies where the stakes are, the world is going to explode. And I'm like, I don't care. Right. Because it's make-believe. Like, I know, you know, big stakes versus little stakes, I don't think is is really the, the crux of what makes a show engaging. I You're think making me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I think the big steak. <laughs> you know, I think it's, it's, it's are, are the stakes real? Do they feel uh, mm. legitimate? Do they feel... <laughs> Can you, can you smell mm, big the steak? Real steak. <laughs> some big potato, little potato. Ooh. With chives. <laughs> Where are the chives of the story? <laughs> yeah, we always look at the, uh, the the. What are the sides? What are the? I'll have I'll have a little salad. I'll have the big salad. Um, Bojack has little salads, but sometimes big salads can turn into big salads. Todd, this is what I do on the show. This is I great. derail yeah. things. <laughs> like, what were we talking about? I don't know, but now we have um, a supervising derailer. The street. <laughs> well, I guess then the question would be how do you get the like, audience what, to care? No, yeah, yeah. How do you find the, get the audience to care about like if Bojack? Obviously, we do, but like what was sort of a lesson for you in terms of like getting the audience to care about if he's happy, you know? Well, I. I mean, for me, it was always about finding that vulnerability and making it feel real and making it kind of tap into things that people could relate to. And I think people relate to wounds. People relate to pain. People relate to wanting things, longing for things. Um, you know, we we have a line in season two, uh, which I think really clicked for a lot of people in a way that I didn't anticipate mm-hmm. um, where Mr. Peanut Butter asks him, like, why are you so miserable? Like, what what do you want? You have everything, you know, kind of speaking to your criticism. I know it wasn't a criticism, but speaking to your point, um, you know, you're, you're a movie, a millionaire movie star who, who lives in a beautiful house. You have a girlfriend who loves you. You know, what else could the universe possibly owe you? Um, and he says, I want to be happy and I don't know how. Mm. And I think for me, that was always what the show was, but I, I think uh, explicitly stating it is where a lot of people go, oh, <laughs> I I get that because I also want to be happy and I don't know how. And I think even people who are happy don't necessarily know how they are happy or they're happy and then one day they're not and they go, I don't know what happened. Right. And kind of speaking to that very fundamental um, I mean, that's, I think that's the, the biggest stake in the world, um, you know, is, is the, the trying to be satisfied and trying to be content and, and trying to feel good about yourself right. and feel good about the things you've done and feel good about the person that you are. That feels very immediate and very real and very relatable. Um, and that could be a movie star or that could be a farmer. That could be anybody. Cause I think we all want that and we all feel that. And we all know when it's missing and and want it back. I'm, I'm, I want to pivot off something in that. I'm, I'm going to get to a question about how you 
in a second, but sort of I have two questions out of that. But the first one is kind of you said making that explicit, I want to be happy. Mm-hmm. I think that's something the show does really well was it makes those emotional subtextual points text in a way that doesn't feel overbearing you know, most of the time. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like that's a thing you're taught not to do right. when you're writing. And like, I think a side benefit of that has been people are not saying Bojack is so cool. I want to be just like him. I want to be an asshole to all my yeah. friends. <laughs> so like, <laughs> tell me about developing that technique of like, we are just going to take this subtext and make it text. And when do you, how do you know when to do it? Well, you, I think you bring up a few interesting things there because I think um, before I, I answer your question, I, I want to say that, yeah, very important from the beginning. I think one thing that does set us apart from some of those other anti-hero shows um, was this idea of, from the beginning, as I said, you know, every, to everyone I would talk to about the show, I said, Bojack is not a role model. He's not cool. Right. People don't want to be like Bojack. And we want to make sure we're communicating this very effectively, that he's, we want to feel for him. He can be an object of pity. We can relate to him in some ways or feel like, oh, I, that's, that wounds me because I'm, that's close to me, you know? Um, but, He's not an aspirational figure. And I think a lot of anti-hero shows forget that or, or are not interested in that. They want their heroes to be cool. They, they think, okay, yeah, he does bad stuff, but we like him because he's cool. Whereas with Bojack, he does bad stuff, but we like him because he's vulnerable and he's trying and, and, and he's uh, aware of how badly he's screwing everything up. Um, but it's, it's not because he's, he's cool. And that you he's know, a little cool sometimes. He can be. He's no. very he's very funny and mean. Of course, of course. And that's kind of. But I but I wanted to cut against that a little bit. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't want him to be, um, like uh, to take some of the good examples, like a Larry David, where it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. he's irascible, but we love him because he's saying what we're all thinking. Like there are yeah. moments of that, but I didn't want him to just be that. You know, I didn't want him to be uh, a Don Draper, where he, um, <laughs> is the coolest guy in every room he goes into. You mm-hmm. know, I I wanted to make sure we were we were viewing him more as a, as an object of, of of pity a pathetic figure mm-hmm. um even when he yeah he sometimes does the cool thing or uh can pull something off um but more often he he's not um but to, to get to your other question about the the text versus subtext i think the again the 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 animation helps with that a lot right um and certainly there's a tradition um you know i think south park does this very well where and i i remember watching that show and just being in awe of like oh they're just like saying a speech and there's kind of like a tongue in cheekness <laughs> about it. Like it, it, they pull it off because they're aware of how naked it is. Um, and so I think we, we do a little bit of that. Uh, that awareness helps. Um, but I also think, yeah, because it is animals, you get away with more. You know, I think people talk about uh, writing for teen shows are really fun because teens don't have subtext. Right. So they can say all these like emotional things that adults would never say to each other. And I think you can say the same about talking animals, that they – it's a cartoon, so it's they can be more naked than things are in the real world. Right. Um, you know, and uh, I've talked before about how the the wackiness of our universe kind of allows us to be more sincere. Like it, it cuts against it in an inter- interesting way. But I think more than just being opposites, it actually helps too because we kind of um, from the beginning of the show we kind of introduce this idea of like just go with it. Right. Like yes, it's talking animals. We're not going to explain it. Just go with it. <laughs> and so that allows for the wackier things, but also allows for the the more serious uh, things of like that you might not buy on a more realistic show. Where it's like, I don't know if this guy would really open up in this way to this other character, but because we're in a world of kind of just go with it, it gives us a little more leeway in that direction. Some of the show's most interesting elements, direction, design-wise, come in those more dramatic sequences. What's 
what's fun about getting to sort of cut loose and like what have you been uh, really excited about being able to do in some of those sequences? Um, I like it whenever we get to break the style of the show. Um, mm-hmm. Like I love in episode 406 uh, where we get into Bojack's head and mm-hmm. we see those, it's like a UPA style animation. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that was the director, uh, Ann Walker, and um, we really collaborated on those. Um, and yeah, that, was, that was not in the script. In yeah. The script. No, it was just yeah. hearing voiceover. And then Anne came in with this pitch of like, I want to do this style. Yeah, which is yeah. great too, because um, if you don't go to something else, then you're just kind of sitting with him and kind of moving from room to room. And we did that two, three times. Then you're going to, okay, then we'll go to a fourth room, fifth room. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun to go. To, it just yeah. really breaks it up in a very dynamic way. Yeah. And it was like partly inspired by old fashioned animation and then partly by my more sketchy or comics that I've drawn. And we kind of, yeah, made it look super sketchy and scribbly. And I just love it whenever we can do that. It's super fun. We did it a really great one in season two as well during Wanda's joke. Right. The story yeah. Book. She tells a long story and yeah. it's, it's, it looks like a children's book, like almost like one of those golden books or something. It's And like that a, was pitched by our, our editor, Molly Yar. It oh, was yeah. her idea. Yeah. And, um, because, yeah, because um, the, the, the dialogue is so crisp and, and quick on the page. But and then in reality, when you're looking at it, I guess, on the screen, you know, it's like this is a long conversation just in the car. Just two people talking. Yeah. yeah. And that really kind of really served to break it up in a really dynamic way. And then I got to use sort of a look that's the opposite from the way the rest of the show looks, where instead of using this black line art that's very clean with, like, color inside, I, I took away all the line art and just did shapes and colors. Mm. Um, so it's fun for me. That great it up. cat one in this season, season four, where we're uh, oh, and the, like the collagey kind yeah. of. Oh yeah, I love that. Yeah, they're all singing. So fun. Yeah, and that came from Amy, Amy, uh, yeah, Winfrey, Amy. Yeah. How do you uh, those scenes that are a little more serious that are just two people talking? Because there have been several of them. How do you vary those up visually to keep them? How do you keep the filmmaking interesting when it's you know just uh, two horses and their lips are kind of moving? You know. <laughs> Well, we play a lot of stuff kind of flat because a lot of stuff is more just kind of quick back and forth comedy. Mm -hmm. But then you had a great sequence like in season four where Bojack is uh, starting to get a little aggressive with his mother's doll. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ann Walker and her boarder, her assistant director, Yair Gordon, uh, really uh, they went through like our whole backlog of available backgrounds and they were cutting around way more and oh, in that taking room? those yeah. backgrounds that we barely use and, yeah. and putting them on an angle yeah, to really kind of amp up the attention. But, that, but that's, I mean, that's an amped up scene. I think, you know, if you're asking about like scenes of like, you know, I, what I think of as like the episode 12 scenes of like, all right, everything's screwed up. Bojack's in his living room. Someone comes to visit him and they have like a conversation. And those are, I mean, those are pretty flat because yeah. it's, I mean, that, that, I think that it counters kind of the wackiness and, and the craziness of the rest of the episodes. We try to, yeah, okay, to get out of the way. This of is, it. This, yeah, let's get out of the way. Exactly. It's very restrained. We don't want to be, we don't want to be watching, thinking about the camera angles. We want to be kind of just like sitting with these characters in the scene. They're having this conversation and like, let's just be here for it's a moment. It's nice to have like a break, honestly, yeah. because the yeah. show is so packed dense with visuals and jokes and, and the, the script is so dense too with like puns and all this, these references and stuff. It's nice to just kind of have a break where it's about the emotions and this conversation. And sometimes with those, it's just a matter of like having like a nice skyscape or something. Yeah. It can be so impactful, like in 411 where uh, she's talking to Henrietta uh, over the table about um, yeah. talking about a grave uh, situation 
And uh, that initially had a lot of cutting in it. And Raphael was like, get rid of all the cutting. Let's just do. And we were like, oh, my God, that is going to be a giant animation file. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's going to be like a one minute long animation file. And those things start to really bog down when our usual animation files are like three seconds long. And then here's this 60 second long file. (laughs) I said, do it. (laughs) Tyrant. I don't care. (laughs) My art must not be compromised. We're, uh, we're coming into the end of the show. And one of the things I find interesting about this season is you look at Hollyhock and, uh, she has been raised in a much better manner than Bojack or than Bojack's mother. Yeah, and she's got eight characters. supportive she's dads. She's got eight supportive dads. <laughs> and yet there is this element of we get the sense she's inherited this this mm-hmm. clinical depression or something like that. I wonder, you know, if you guys, just for me now, could settle sort of the debate between nature and nurture. <laughs> just like in the next five minutes or so, that'd be great. But like, wh- like what do you think the show has to say about inherited trauma versus, you know, trauma that is that is forced onto us by others or brought on. I mean, it's, I'm not saying anything new here. It's both, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's, there are things that are baked into you that you could be in the most loving, supportive place. And it's just, that's who you are. You Mm -hmm. know, I, I, uh, remember in high school, AP psych class hearing about, uh, identical twins who are separated at birth. And, uh, you know, one lives with the clean family and one lives with the messy family. <laughs> and the one who lives with the clean family says, well, you know, I, I love to keep things clean because I grew up around clean people and that's very mm-hmm. important to me. And the one who lives with the messy family says, well, you know, I love to keep things clean because my family was always messy and it drove mm-hmm. me crazy. Um, yeah. and, and <laughs> so it's, it's like, oh, there might, there's, there's more there. Um, you know, so I, I am always quick to maybe err on the side of, of blaming our bio- biology. Um, but of course it's also true that you are deeply affected by the people around you mm-hmm. and your environment. Um, and that, you know, I, I don't think you can very cleanly wedge this is that and this is that. It's a, it's a soup, right? A constant mm-hmm. struggle to rise above it is where true, uh, wonderful drama and storytelling R- rise comes above your, from. your nature. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love that Holly Hawk is this generally optimistic and proactive character, though. Like, she's trying to make her life better and seek answers, even though she struggles with the same anxiety and depression that Bojack well, does. She's young yet. She's mm. young. Oh, no. <laughs> what do you have in store for her? Oh, I shouldn't have. Oh, boy. There's <laughs> time to be beaten down by life. Like oh, dear. Us. Without spoiling too much, what, what are we looking at for season five? Oh, God, I don't know. Um, <laughs> 12 episodes. 12 episodes. I can 25 minutes much. a piece. It'll come out in different like animals. Uh, <laughs> Some different outfits. Uh, some, some old familiar faces. Some and some new places. New places. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think what we're looking at is the next chapter. You know, I, I think every season we think, how can we how can we reinvent this a little bit and figure out, all right, here's what came before. Where does that go next? Um, and so I think it's about um, plowing forward and not feeling like we're repeating ourselves and, and thinking, okay, here's where the story's at. Where do we want the story to get to? And how do we go there? I'm looking forward to a scene. I don't know what's going to happen in this damn story arc. It doesn't really matter. But a scene where a cockatiel oh. is in a theater oh. watching a horror movie. And oh. Bojack has to sit behind him. And every time there's a scary moment, the cockatiel's hair goes up. The feathers <laughs> go up. And 
Bojack is constantly having. It's like, ah, I missed right, another me, one. Let me, let me go. I gotta go across the street and rebreak the season. So put that <laughs> Here's what you can expect. You can expect uh, long animation files, like two minutes, three minutes. Oh no! I'm um, just really just holding on one face for a very long time, going through all their expressions. Do you? You're coming in season five is often when people start to think, okay, we got to wrap up this story. Do you think this is a story that has an end, or do you think it's one that can run, you know, 29 years like this? I don't know. Um, I mean, there's something I, I, I gee, traditionally I've thought about this as, as, as not being a forever show and mm-hmm. thinking like this is, I want to take these characters for as long as I can take them. And then here's where their story ends. Um, you know, I don't think it's a, this is not a breaking bad where it's like, we're aiming towards a specific arc or, or, mm-hmm. or we got to get from here to there or how I met your mother. Mm-hmm. You know, it is kind of like we are in the lives of these characters and we're going to track their movement and see where it goes. And there'll be ups and downs. And I don't, I don't necessarily know where we're going to land or how we're, or what time we're going to land there. Um, recently I started thinking, um, about like, well, what if this is a 20 year show? And just, oh my God. <laughs> well, just, just because, I mean, I don't think I am interested in staying on a show for 20 years. Honey, if you're home listening, go ahead and put the money down on the yacht. <laughs> <laughs> Well, just just the fact that, like, you know, The Simpsons is very stuck in time. Right. And and most cartoons are. And we are a cartoon where things change and grow in a <laughs> oh, way. Oh, yeah. Bojack's not going to age well in for a way 20 that, years. That, that live action shows do. But because it's animated, animated there are certain um, budgetary reasons that we can go much longer than a live action show could. Right. So there, there, there's like um, there's a real boyhood potential in being like, Oh, what what is the longitudinal arc of this show? And can we continue to go through multiple marriages and relationships <laughs> and kids getting older and and and, and plants characters dying. falling out from multiple seasons at a time and then coming back together? Or is that just gonna be torture? I don't know. I I, mean, I don't know if that's interesting for an audience or interesting for me, but just just like very recently I started to think like that's an alternate route than kind of what I'd been thinking of like the seven to ten years, you know, or or um, although I haven't really even thought about that, just, you know, we, we do it one year at a time and if we have more stories to tell, we're going to keep telling stories. Do you mm-hmm. think this season, maybe we might see Bojack water those three cactuses on top of his sink? No, they're cactuses. They don't need water. <laughs> they they need a little bit of water. <laughs> nah, they're fine. They're fake. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh my God. There's the pool quote. <laughs> so we, uh, we end the show every week by asking some of the same questions. So I'm going to break them down. One for each of you. Uh, I'll start with Raphael. This is our special October question. Oh, spooky. Uh, what's your greatest <laughs> Halloween costume success? Oh my God. I could... Can we talk about failures? I, <laughs> Go for it. I don't yeah. think I've ever had a Halloween costume success. You What's your pass? greatest failure? I've, I've given up now. Um, but you I remember, want to pass and I'll take the question? No, no, no. I got, I got, got, some, I got some real stinkers. Um, <laughs> oh, I have a good one. One, one year um, I went as a, there was a, a I went, there was a, a, a back from the dead Halloween party. Mm-hmm. So I went, <laughs> I went, I went as Marty McFly thinking it would be funny that I misunderstood the theme of the party. <laughs> But it turns out I did misunderstand the theme of the party because it wasn't a back from the dead party. It was just a Halloween party. And there were two other better Marty McFly's there. <laughs> so the next year I was like, I want to be something that nobody else is because I don't want to have that experience where I go to the party and and uh, there's another guy who like showed me up. So this year I went as the third clone of Michael Keaton from Multiplicity. <laughs> And I got like the goggles and a big winter cap and a goofy sweater. And I had and I carried around a pizza box and I had a name tag that said, hello, my name is the third clone of Michael Keaton 
from the movie Multiplicity. And I was in New York. So it was like on the subway. I was like moving around. And what kept happening is people would like see me from afar, squint at me, walk up to me, read my name tag, then look back up at me and walk away. <laughs> There's no like, oh, wow. No recognition, nothing. Just, oh, that's okay. Um, and you've never been so satisfied. <laughs> I'm perfect. I loved it. Well, I'll, I'll ask you, Mike. You you had an answer to that, so we'll just we'll just ask you all the same question, Mike. What do you? Uh, my wife would get so angry every year. She puts so much effort into these amazing costumes, and every year I did the exact opposite. I would do less than nothing. I would grow <laughs> out a beard, and then I'd put on some old '60s clothes. Mm-hmm and a headband and Kermit on one hand and I would be Jim Henson. And, <laughs> and we would go around and people, everyone would stop me to take pictures. I had the little, <laughs> the little thing on his arm so he could do it. And it would also make her so mad that I have like the worst Kermit voice. <laughs> I couldn't do the Kermit voice. Can, can I couldn't do anything. Wait, what? That was your Kermit voice? That's when, you know, like when he gets excited at the beginning of the show or the end. That's, is it- Wait, is this, is this Kermit or is this like the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade Kermit that's slowly deflating? <laughs> Lisa, what was your answer? Um, well, one year for Halloween, my mom made me a homemade tiger costume and I loved it so much. It was like a full suit with a cap and a tail and everything. And I loved it so much that even after Halloween ended, I still wanted to wear it. And I was like, we were going to bu- ride our bikes to the grocery store, get groceries and then ride home. And I was like, can I wear my tiger costume? Please, 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 please. And I was like, she's like, okay, fine. And we rode... Uh, and then my tail got caught in the bicycle spokes oh. and my mom had to cut me out of my costume in the grocery store parking lot. And I had to ride home in my underwear. <laughs> and my brother was so embarrassed that he rode way out in front of us and pretended not to know who we were. Is this, is this why all of your animals don't have tails now? Yeah. This traumatic wow. event for your child? My tail trauma. <laughs> <laughs> well, the show is Bojack Horseman. It's on Netflix. You can stream all four seasons right now. Season five will arrive sometime next year, I'm sure. Uh, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. What a joy. Yeah, what a pleasure. I Think You're Interesting is hosted and executive produced by Todd Vanderwerf. Here's a twist ending. That's me. I'm going to read you closing credits now because this is the part of the show when we do that. Vox Podcasting is headed up by Marty Moe and Jackie Goldstein. Our executive producer of audio is Nishak Kurwa. Our sound design is thanks to Miles Ewell. Our logo design is thanks to Victor Ware, Krista Stevens, and Georgia Cowley. Our production manager is Alex Ulrich. Our production coordinator is Carrie Clements. Our audio engineering and post-production are thanks to P3 Post. We recorded this week's episode at the BoJack Horseman offices in Hollywood, California. Our editor is Peter Leonard. Our recording engineer, as always, is Jay Brooks. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show uh, wherever you can. I read all the reviews. I I, I keep track of your comments. It really does help the show kind of climb the charts and and get to people who might be interested in it or might think we are interesting, if you will. Uh, So if you you could take a moment to do that on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or whatever, Google Music, I think we're on. I don't know. Uh, I'd really appreciate it. It would help us out. If you have ideas for the show, if you have complaints, if you have comments and you don't want to leave a review, you can email me at Todd at Vox.com or the podcast itself at ITYI, which I pronounce ITYI, I-T-Y-I dot podcast at Vox.com. And uh, also you can always tweet at me at TVOTI. So thank you very much. Please come back next week for another interview with someone from the world of arts and entertainment, someone who I think is interesting. And until then, back in the 90s, I was on a very famous TV show. Yay! Yay! <laughs>
Hey, folks, thanks for listening. But before you go, take a listen to this from our friends at the podcast, Start to Sale Show. I'm Aaron Patinkin of Ovenly. And I'm Natasha Case of Cool House Ice Cream. And we want to tell you about our new podcast, Start to Sale. Each week, we'll have fascinating conversations with smart, passionate entrepreneurs about their journey to succeed in business. We'll talk to Christina Tosi of Milk Bar, Jane Werwand of Dermalogica, and Piera Gilardi of Refinery29. So we hope you give it a listen. And if you like the show, we hope you'll subscribe. You're going to love it. Thanks to Smartwater for being the founding partner of Start to Sale.